Welcome to the Keyforge Premier League podcast, where we will focus on the people of the community that are contributing to the growth of our sport. Get inside perspectives on the reasons they play Keyforge, what they think about the community, and various other sidebars and hijinks. Be sure to go to the website, www.keyforgepremierleague.com, to find everything you need to know to get started on your path to the top. Thank you again for tuning into the podcast. And if you have any inputs or requests, please reach out to us at keyforgepremierleague at gmail.com. And we will do our best to represent the demand of the player base. The Keyforge Premier League is by the community for the community. Welcome to the Keyforge Premier League weekly podcast. I am Jupiter from Manlius, New York, founder and running the league with, along with Carl from Crazy Machine. And today I have with me a very special guest and her friend. So would you like to say hi? Hello, this is Julie. My handle is Julie July. And I was the winner from the qualifier this past Saturday. Yes, you won my qualifier, the U.S.-based one, and you beat a Brit, which makes it even better. <laughs> and she brings with her a friend. Um, his name is Joe. Would you like to say something about yourself, Joe, please? Hey, this is Joe. Uh, Costrevere is my handle. I'm from Washington, D.C. I'm one of Julie's teammates. We're a part of the Bay Witches. I also competed this past weekend, but not did not do nearly as well as Julie. Was that because of deck selection, or was that because she's just better than you? She is, she is really, really good, and I don't like to blame the decks. Uh, it was poor piloting and not the deck's fault. Oh, fair. That's a fair. That's a very politically uh, correct answer. So, Julie, why don't you tell us about where you're from? And obviously, you play with the Bay Witches. Yep, so I'm in Baltimore. Um, I've been here my whole life. Um, I recently started playing Keyforge. I started about nine months ago in December, so I still consider that pretty recent compared to a lot of other competitors. Um, I was at PAX Unplugged, and my husband checked it out of the library for us and was just like, I think you'll like this game. And the funny thing is, is that he doesn't even play it, but I still do. (laughs) Um, And shortly after I started playing, I found um, Games and Stuff, which is in Glen Burnie, Maryland, and that's where... The Bay Witches are based out of, and I started playing Sealed Weekly there. Um, and that's how I started. Awesome. And um, so what was it about Keyforge that was kind of hooked you into playing? Obviously, you're playing without your husband. That's a big deal. I just really liked that you could pick up a deck and play. I loved Sealed because I didn't feel like somebody had an advantage over me more than more than the fact that they have been playing longer. Um, and the community aspect of Keyforge is really appealing too. Um, anywhere you go, you could probably find somewhere to play with somebody else. And it seems like the Keyforge community is really close and very open and accepting of people. Yeah, I would agree with that too. So Joe, what got you into playing Keyforge? Pretty much the same idea. I, I liked Magic the Theory, but I felt intimidated by it versus with Keyforge, it was buy a deck and you're pretty much good to go. There's not a lot of deck building. There's not additional complexity outside of that in terms of picking up a deck and playing. There's a lot to it in terms of strategy beyond that, but just it felt casual and fun. And then I found a good community and that really is what made it stick for me. Yeah, that's that's pretty interesting. Like I know that you guys say that it's everywhere, but like I'm, I'm from Syracuse, New York and we have like zero play scene. Like the closest for me is Albany, which is two hours to the east, or I could go west to Buffalo, and that's another like two to three hours that way. So like I guess Rochester, an hour and a half away, is probably the closest. Maybe um, Binghamton, but like I'm right in the dab in the dab middle of everything, and like getting out to those places takes me a bit of a driving with my kids. It's not so it's, it's not so easy. So that's why I've made a commitment to being online, and and basically, uh, Keyforge Premier League is uh, pretty important to me. But I'm curious to like both of you were playing in my in in the tournament that we created so what does the keyforge premier league mean to you curveball i didn't tell you this was coming so i really liked the idea in the sense that we were going to bring together some of our best players and it was more about getting the matches recorded and the commentary on top of it i think the casting brings a lot more to the game and it really helps new players too so it's not only do we have really good players going at it but someone's explaining what's going on to the match and maybe 
we're not getting the full insight into their heads, but we're getting a better explanation of the match. And you can feel the strategy because there are definitely people who think there's not a lot of strategy to Keyforge. And when you get good commentary on a good match, you really understand there's a lot of nuance, there's a lot of feints, there's ways to set things up, and you just don't appreciate it if you haven't played enough. And I think this will bring better understanding to high-level play. Yeah, to piggyback off of you, when I uh, first started thinking about this concept, uh, I was able to think about the times I spent coaching people, right? When I first started playing and I was on Twitch, I had KC Checo, who's from your area. Like, uh, she kind of disappeared, but like, uh, I was helping her learn to play and I had other people from different places asking me questions and then people wanted to know how to sell decks. I've always been an open coach and I've never charged anybody for nothing. And I've always like basically said, if you need help, just hit me up. I will help you. I'm an open book. I, I will teach you the theories and the things that I believe about Keyforge, but I will not tell you how to play. Like, uh, that's always how I've been, because in Keyforge, unlike any other game, I was a Magic 25-year Magic, you know, semi-pro, pulled into Keyforge because of all the micro decisions. Every other game seems like there's macro decisions. You make combos, you set up your combo, you win with big things. Like, and you had set things that you had to get in place, and people knew what they were, and it was just a matter of, like, are you ready to stop their attempt to stop you kind of thing? Like, that's how Magic felt to me always. And then you're always metagaming, like, off the off the net, and everybody's playing the same deck, and you're playing mirror matches, and it just got really, really old. I just wanted something to be better than it. It took 25 years for Keyforge to come along, and the same person who created Magic to basically uh, give me that. And in this game, people say there's no skill, and there's no real, you know, competition, but I agree with you in the fact that there's all these micro decisions and the micro decisions that you make like you can never even really tell people you're right or wrong because you don't know how they will play out because you can't go back and play the same deck like the same game again like every game is always so different and so fresh right so that's kind of like uh, i'm glad that you said that because that that's exactly why i think that having commentary like you like you said is going to be useful for newer players and whatnot so julie you said you've only been playing for about nine months and like here you are you're qualified for the premier league that you're going to be playing against 20 pros basically 20 people who've already qualified <laughs> that have done big things with keyforge and here you are and you threw your name in the hat and you said earlier that that was part of what you wanted right that's that's part of why you play keyforge is because you were on even footing from day one which i do agree which is another aspect so why don't you tell me about your tie to the keyforge premier league and like why you wanted to do this well the thing that i really like about the Premier League and the fact that you have open qualifiers is that it is giving everybody the chance, no matter their circumstances right now. Mm-hmm. Like I know some players who can't travel to vault tours because they can't afford to make the trip there or afford to take the time off of work. And that doesn't mean that they're any less of an elite or premier player as the people who can go do that. So this kind of like having that online aspect and open qualifiers gives everybody a chance to show their capabilities yeah um and that was kind of another piece of me too like uh, when i was gone for this uh school hiatus that everybody thought i was gone it's because i was playing a game called gwent i don't know if you guys are familiar with gwent but it's a really fun awesome online game it's a lot less time committed to play and like uh the structure of the game is what made me go hmm that could work for Keyforge, and that's why I tried, I'm trying to re- recycle that because what they do is all the money that they make off of anything curricular in the game, like anything like skins and like things like that, they say any money that you spend on these things basically will go towards the prize pool for next season. And then what they do is they have a top 16 people, and the top 16 people play out, and then like they, they're at the point now where like just qualifying for top 16 means you're guaranteed 2,500 bucks. And then every game that you win in the tournament gets you a net amount of extra money. Like that's nuts, right? And like the business plan for that seems so brilliant. And so that's kind of what I'm trying to build here. And I think that Keyforge is built for that kind of environment because we have a really caring community and people that that are going to uh, invest a little bit into the idea here. So I'm not expecting to be huge overnight, but like the idea is that I just build up and like I've already had people asking me to take a Patreon account and I'm just like, I really don't want free things. Like I'm not that guy. So like, that's why I put my DOK stuff up and I'm like, if you want to support me buy DOK decks, like I put them up there for a reasonable price. You buy those, you're supporting the league. Cause obviously I'm going to roll the money into the league on, on the profit side of it. Right? Like that's the goal. Mm-hmm. And, and the goal is to grow. So if people were coming to me going, Hey, I want, you know, to, to contribute to you, like, like uh, I'll, I'll say Scrowner. Scrowner is a big contributor to all the things I've ever done. And um, he said he wanted to contribute. So like, I was like, well pick out some decks and then you can give me whatever 
kind of money you want for them, but I want to give you a token back, right? Like that's the that's the thing with me. Like I don't care like about the deck value so much as I'm giving you something back for the thing that you're investing into. Plus I'm giving you the content stuff that I'm going to give you, right? So that's awesome. Mm -hmm. But let's talk about you and your road to the Keyforge Premier League. Now that is the fun part, right? Because obviously you had to qualify through six rounds and you you made it like off of a tiebreaker. Um, so you came in at the eighth seed, right? Yes, I just made it in. Yeah, I remember because we were looking at the brackets and for a minute there you weren't on the list and all of a sudden you were on the list and I was like, yay! <laughs> and I was cheering for you through too. If you watched the videos, you heard that you were my favorite person in the top eight. I wanted you to win. <laughs> so you you were my dark horse. So I may I don't know maybe I gave you some good 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 vibes, but. <laughs> You also had muffins uh, cheering for both you and George. So I her... was gonna say so, so, so... I was getting messages <laughs> from everybody on my team and people that I know from the She Forge group. Like it was all coming at me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're a celebrity now. That's that's what happens. You're gonna get paparazzi soon. Who knows? Like <laughs> no, but like uh, so the, the first round you played against a really good deck. Uh, Richard, um, who is known as Bedul Bazaar, he's a kid from Minnesota. I know his dad, and I met them in Albany when they came down really good kid really sharp kid plays really good keyforge um most of the time <laughs> i'll preface that <laughs> but uh the um the deck that he was playing was really like a it's it was a slow kind of start with the deck but then it was like a binite rupture um like combo style deck and he had a lot of yeah. like li a lot of cool lines and stuff to it i don't know how much you knew about the deck that you were playing against when you went into him but like um his deck was like kicking butt all day he was like a 6-0 like he was playing really good i didn't know anything about his deck yeah. um I, yeah it was sealed so i literally went into it blind and his rupture, he discarded very early in the game, Yes, I believe. Yes. I can't remember for sure, but I just know he didn't have the rupture and the graft anywhere near at the same time. Yeah. Well, the thing with him was that the rupture wasn't necessarily needed. The graph wasn't necessarily needed for the rupture. He had won games where he was playing a rupture just to get the, the, the spike in amber, and then he would like yeah. repress the amber back with his cutthroats and stuff. Like He was playing it really well, but... Um, key moments in that game let's talk about some of them on both sides right uh your good ones and your bad ones uh first thing i want to bring up is the cooperative hunting play me and z had a bit of a uh, a brainstorm about that and i i think that what i came up with was probably the correct thing that happened because we were wondering why you took the because what the for the people who didn't know is like she had a lion in the middle of a was it a martian mind warper on the on, on the right side the the line in the middle and another creature a couple creatures on the on the left you had a martian on the far end and another creature in the middle there like i can't remember what it was i think it was the vault keeper well, oh it was the vault keeper you're correct because he's like why would you kill the vault keeper i remember that <laughs> but uh like uh but the thing was is like you threw your cooperative hunting and you did two one two like on the damage scale and we were all wondering why you didn't kill the lion but then when you went to play it was a lost in the woods it took you a second to play and at that point I, I i had surmised that you had forgotten about the hadron's wall when you distributed your damage because your idea was to pop because yes, I I, <laughs> because because i think you were thinking about popping the lion back into the deck with the other martian right the one on the end that you didn't damage and leaving the vault keeper on the table and letting the martian die with the lack of the lion is that what your line initially was I'm just testing my 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 hypothesis. So, I honestly cannot remember for sure, but what I can tell you is that because I only started playing nine months ago, the majority of my experience is with Worlds Collide and Mass Mutations. Like I can tell you those cards through and through, recognize combos. But when it comes to AOA and Coda, that's definitely my weakness. Maybe I shouldn't be saying that out loud, but. <laughs> That's that's one of my weaker points is because I'll be playing with somebody and I'll frequently see cards or artifacts that I've never seen before because my play experience with those sets are so limited and the number of decks that I have are limited. So, it, you know, in the midst of the moment, it just it didn't even click with me. Like I saw it and it was just me trying to keep track of some things that I wasn't familiar with. 
And then at that point it was like, oh crap, now what do I do? <laughs> because everything I thought would happen didn't happen. Um, and I had to figure that out pretty quickly, but that was literally just an error in an experience. All right. So Joe, the question for you being her teammate and person that's played with her and stuff, do you, did you guys, did you talk to anybody about your deck selection before you chose your deck, Julie, first of all? No. No. Okay. Okay. So I'm, I'm, uh, tell me why you picked the deck you picked out of the, out of the whole pool. If you said you're least familiar with Coda, did you take the Coda because of the dust pixies and the, uh, the amount of rush that the, de the deck had? So out of the three decks, mm -hmm. all three were Brockmar, which I cringed a little when I saw that. <laughs> um, the AOA was immediately out. I did not like it. There was not good enough synergies as, as with the other ones. Um, in my bucket, obviously it was between the Worlds Collide and the Coda. They both had much different strengths. The Worlds Collide deck had tribute it had ways to get rid of the amber and it had um the Bromnar just sucked though it would have been a house that i was calling to get rid of cards rather than to play cards if that makes sense no it absolutely makes sense Bromnar is has a curse and um i hope they fix this when they come back but Bromnar's curse was in coda you saw the curse like start to manifest itself and then it just got worse as the sets went but Brobnar has a dual identity it has a come into play identity and it has a board presence identity and when those two identities get crossed up in a deck it makes a deck really bad for Brobnar because like yeah. you can't capitalize on one certain thing and basically push your advantage and it got worse like when they tried to make Brobnar into a combo house with damage like basically board presence combo and like even though Ganger Chieftain is kind of cool to you know play with the um the drummer like it's it's still not great like grump buggy drummer not i saw a double grump buggy double drummer not double um ganger chieftain deck that like just didn't do well like because it's just too much like mm -hmm. it just it just doesn't do anything well right i think that's the curse of brobner joe you've been around for a while like how do you feel about that no i definitely agree i think it's pretty much gone off a cliff after Coda. Uh, you could definitely get really competitive Brabnar decks, and I definitely liked the composition for Julie's. Um, I think... I can't think the last time I opened a Brabnar deck and was excited. Um, I don't even think in AOA I have a Grub Buggy deck, and I'm just not that impressed with them. So I, I do wish they got a little more love, a little bit better tweaking. I don't, I don't know what they need, but they need a, a new identity. I, I think they just need a focused identity because I have Coda decks. All my like Coda keepers, quote unquote, have Brobnar in them. Like uh, they have like really nice Brobnar sets. Like my favorite deck is Inca, the uh, obtuse. Eventually, obtuse Inca is what it's called, and it's uh, the deck I played in Albany. I went four and one with, and like uh, that deck is just great, and I love. It. And it's because it's a rush deck with, with like Brobnar is is actually the amber stealing house of my deck. So it's kind of weird, but it's really good. But um, yeah, I don't know. Brobnar is just different. So Joe, with, with uh, that said, how important do you think it was for Julie to, to play the deck that she played in, in this tournament? As far as like she says, she's not very familiar with some of the sets, like the two of the three sets she's not overly familiar with. Um, I think she made a really good choice, obviously, because um, the power of the Dust Pixie is still pretty, <laughs> pretty amazing. And like when it has, it's like, it seemed like your Dust Pixies and Niffle Apes were just always together. Like, I know some of that was how you angled your deck to it, but you drew them together more than I, that more than I cared to see. Because <laughs> I was just like, man, they're like having a party. They just won't go away from each other. But do you think that the style of deck that she picked with, with the shadows back up for the amount of amber rush uh, burst that she had, do you think that that was just a, a solid choice that everybody would be successful with that? Or is there something about how Julie plays that you think fits her style? You know, I, I typically, when I think of, Julie's decks that she picks to play against us, they're typically very consistent across all three houses. There's not a weak house, and maybe you don't get those brig or really heavy, impressive combos from one house, but all three are going to kick your butt if you let them, and she can adapt well with it. And I did think the deck she picked uh, gave her a lot of flexibility in how she approached her matches. Like you were saying, she had the burst ability, but she could also stall off keys with shadows, or she got the the board with Brobnar, she was really able to control that and use them for Amber control. So 
she had a ton of tools in it, and that's really what I think of when I think of the decks she brings to the table are just consistent across the board. That no one needs to be a star, they just all need to do what they're supposed to do. Yeah, I think that it's fair to say that the sum of good cards is better than the sum of some bad cards and excellent cards. Like, that's just something, another thing that I've always taught people in theory. It's like, if you have a deck that has all above average cards, I would play that deck almost 100% of the time than a deck that has, like, you know, a percentage of all-star cards and then a lot of bad cards. The game is a balanced game, I think, and, like, I think that the more balanced you are, the better it is. So do you think what Joe said about you, Julie, is true? Yes, and when he was saying that, it's partially from the fact that People like Joe and other people on my team have taught me how to find good decks. Like, I just didn't learn by myself how to look at a deck and determine if I would like it or how good or what it would or wouldn't be. Like, these guys have definitely taught me how to find those combos, you know, knowing that I'm going to need some sort of artifact control, um, particularly what to look for in certain decks. So, yes, I think he's right. And to add on top of it, Shadows is my favorite house. So <laughs> I get a chance to play a good Shadows deck, I'm going to. That's fair to say. I mean, back in Kodo, you couldn't go wrong with that. Shadows is a nice house. It's not my favorite. My favorite is definitely Dees. But back to the match that we had with Rich, with uh, Richard going. So after we got past the wall conundrum, um, there was a, like, you basically, you just applied a lot of pressure to him and put him in spots where he had to react to you and you just never let off the gas, which is the proper thing to do in Keyforge is to keep making Amber because that's how you win. That's the aggressive side of the game, right? And um, it sounds like you've been really well coached up. I'll tell you that because all the things that you're saying are exactly what I used to preach as far as like when I taught new players, I'm like artifact control. I know people say it's not important, but they're lying to you. Um, like, uh, you know, like good raw amber count, like having, you know, pressure, knowing to maintain your amber push as far as the pressure goes and stuff. These are all things that you said that they've taught you basically in this little bit of time that we've talked. And, uh, I'm, I'm, I, I commend your teammates. I commend you, Joe, since you're here, I can tell you straight to your face that, um, at least you're teaching the game the correct way to people. And, uh, I, I appreciate that a lot. I, I don't like it when I hear people saying, well, they told me that this is a good deck. And I say, well, why is it a good deck? And they can't give me reasons. Every deck has strengths and weaknesses. People, you just have to learn how to fish and not just take the fish. Like don't eat just mm-hmm. the fish and be happy with it. Learn how to fish. It, it's way better for you as far as that goes. Sorry to get biblical on you, but that's just the way it is. <laughs> So um, later in that game, you basically ended up edging out um, Richard with a card called Custom Office. (laughs) Whether he saw it coming or not, um, you won the game because of that card. Um, Mm -hmm. And and he didn't see it and basically put you back, even with through his proclamation, uh, put you onto a win. So we all saw it happen and we all know that that's not the way you like to win, right? Like that's just not the, that's not how that goes. But I would like for you, since you're a new player and I'm going to have Joe stay quiet until you're done and then I'll let him say his piece on it. (laughs) But, uh, but I want you to tell me the importance of static effects in the game and how they warp a game. So when you say that's not how somebody would like to win a game, I disagree with that. And when I heard that on the commentary, I was actually a little surprised. I wasn't offended by any means, but I was surprised because say that somebody did a giant amber burst and then on the next turn, somebody played a graph. Are you going to say that's not the way you want to win? Because that's not true. It's how the game works. Um, Something that you obviously you guys didn't hear um, when we were in the table chat together, same I did with everybody. When I played it, I said, I'm playing a customs office. You're going to have to pay me one when you play an artifact. I say it outright just in case, you know, somebody misses it or whatever, just so that I know, Hey, I said it. Mm -hmm. Um, And if we were in a vault tour and somebody played an artifact, that would be a misplay on them. And that's the point of the card is for either people to make a misplay or not be able to make the plays that they want to make. And that's also why I like House Shadows, because sometimes it tricks people into giving you Amber when they don't realize it. 
Well, I'll say this. I wasn't the one that said that, if, I, if it was said. I know. <laughs> uh, I, I'm going to say it because I say a win's a win. You take it and you, and you go. You hate to see it because it was an oversight, but that's the game. Like, I don't give it back. And, like, I, I was very clear at the beginning of the tournament as well to tell people that, like, if you yeah. make a small, like, a click, like, oh, I picked the wrong house kind of click, that's something that, as a judge, I would reverse, like, because that's something you could do in a game, like, in stuff. But once you make a play that has an effect like that where you basically have to pay the amber or do this or that you're locked into that choice and i, I was very specific at the beginning of the tournament was i not to everybody and said play slow play smart make sure you under you're, you're paying attention to the to the script because people don't have to tell you you were even nice enough to tell him when you played it right so um he'll learn he's going to learn and live from that like um but throughout the throughout the event though custom office and tentacus were really raking people's heads and obviously hadrian's wall um so as a new player who's only play, been playing the game for nine months, tell me how important it is for new players to understand the concept of static effects or passive effects, as some people call them. It is extremely important, and it's something that I still have to watch out for. As you saw, the mistakes that I made in those games were because of static effects. Um, you just always have to keep those in mind. And there's so much to remember with Keyforge. Like I remember when I was first playing, I always tried to play artifacts as actions. And it, because it was just another thing that I had to look for and keep track of. Um, so just constantly be looking at that board. If somebody plays a card that's gonna affect you on your next turn and it's going in their discard pile, maybe ask them, to set it to the side a little bit so you can see it and remember it. But yeah, because those static effects that literally change the game, as you saw in this match, it changed the game. Yeah, I've definitely always been a fan of teaching people that I coach to use a token reminder, like a visual token reminder when you're playing actual tabletop, because things like Scrambler Storm and like all these cards that are actions that go to the graveyard and then they're kind of forgot about, like... Um, like uh what's the one from uh stealth mode yeah stealth mode like those That's kind of cards yep like you just forget about them especially on tco they're very easy to miss so as a player like uh, as going you're going into the league this is something that you really need to play against and get ready for because those kind of things that get stuck in like life words even like uh they're on the board one day one minute and then all of a sudden they're gone and you just forget that they're even there and like boom you're not playing creatures on your turn and you pick the house and you're stuck in it like so bad but um so Joe, uh, to keep you involved in the conversation, how hard is it to coach a new player about static effects? It It's definitely one of the first things we have to cover. A lot of the time it'll come up with elusive being the first one. They'll go to fight and it's like, okay, you exhaust your creature, but mine's still here because it has elusive. So the first fight doesn't, doesn't deal damage. And so that's hard, but I think you get to the next level of stuff when you get uh, Hadris Wall is one where it's constantly there and you almost forget about it. Peace Accords, another big one where they play it, you think about it, and then seven or eight turns later, you go to fight and it's like, I completely forgot that that's still in the background there, just hanging out. And I think it's it's teaching them to keep both in mind. You start with the elusives, the stuff that's right in front of you, and then you help them remember that, play the long game too, you know, you want your opponent to forget about stuff like that too, and just reminding them that you need to pay attention to all parts of the board state, not just your creatures and not necessarily just creatures. It might be artifacts or actions that were played before that are impacting you. So it's it's probably the next tier down of stuff when we really start driving home um, styles of play to them is that you've got to look at everything on the board and it's it gets more complicated the further you, you dive into it. That that's a that's a very good statement because um, I know that once you learn to master how to be good at passive effects or static effects, and you basically um, understand how they work, that's when you can start to really next level the opponents with the way you manipulate them. Because sometimes you want to use their elusive against them to basically get a fight trigger to go off, or like these like you know more complex line thoughts that you have like with these static abilities being put in place, and you use these static abilities to trap people and to basically put them in positions to where you um, are gaining a huge advantage off of them and um, if people if the people you're playing with are not familiar with the, the effects and stuff then it can warp a game completely um, an example of that is heart of the forest not many people have played really against heart of the forest they, they just hate heart of the forest right because heart of the forest changes the way the game is played completely 
And um, I think that um, you make a good point with saying that you start with the basics and you kind of start moving into them and then you need to basically push, you know, more, you know, more theory as they go. And that's something that even as a, like a person, quote unquote, that's a pro or a person that's been playing since day one, like myself, I still fall victim to those things because you just don't play enough against a lot of the static effects, especially if you get an odd one that is not really ever played. Like you don't get enough of that. Like um, the good one was the one that you just mentioned from Star Alliance, like where it's like, you know, if I fight, I'm going to lose. Like I got two Amber up front, but he gave it to me when it's a time that's not going to be crucial for me, obviously. And now like I might just forget and start a fight and then I just give him back four Amber. That's huge. That's a huge swing, and that's not something you can take back in, a, in any kind of league type thing. But you don't see it enough, really, to, to have it on your mind if you're not learning how to maintain your board, right? Like how to keep you, your game mentally active. And uh, that's something I think that, Julie, you did a wonderful job with, especially in the next game after Richards where you played against Adikian. I don't know how Adikian, whatever it might be. But uh, his deck was really solid too, and it was very similar to Richards' deck, but he even had more cutthroat manipulation and stuff that he didn't really ever get to because you hammered him, like literally mauled him to death. Like first turn play, maul. <laughs> how good is that? And then you followed up with the second in a gauntlet. We're like, wow, she's like a really dual-wielding some mauls with a power gauntlet. Like, yeah. This is crazy. But uh, you had a really good start against him and stuff like that, and I think that helped a lot because I don't think in the rest of the tournament that we saw him ever get highlighted, he was ever really behind anybody like in a, in a in a position where he felt pressured like he had to do something to react to you and uh, i think you did a really good job of just pressing that you know that gas pedal and basically running him over tell us some of the things that uh you took away from that game so with one thing i wanted to talk about with that game mm -hmm. was the swindle <laughs> do you remember that <laughs> yes i i, I... I despise Swindle and he played it and then you mimicked the Swindle back. I still don't All know right. I still don't so, know if that was the best play, but I'll listen. So I heard on there and Joe even Joe and I were talking earlier and he even argued I still would have he said I still would have went with Brobnar, just like how on the commentary you guys said I probably still would have went with Brobnar. Here is why I did not. Because I was saying to Joe, I was like, why are they questioning this? I know they had a really good reason to do it. That was more than just getting on check. And I went and I looked back through. If you notice, I had mimicry in my hand. If you looked at his deck, he only had three more cards in his draw pile. So if I had not played mimicry, he would not have had any actions for me to play. And when I looked through his actions, the swindle was literally the best one that could have happened i could have went brodnar i could have stopped him gotten the brodnar cards out and filled up my hand but then i would have wasted the mimicry and that's such an important card in that deck so what you're telling me is that you didn't have the resolve to hold the mimicry for a better moment but to be fair i didn't notice how many cards were left in his deck either so that is a very good heads up play by you so i'm not i'm not i'm not going to say yes nay right wrong i think they're all valid points like that's why we play the game with the micro decisions but that's a very heads up play by you and honestly the swindle at the time you did it was not horrible like it's just swindle we just don't like swindle <laughs> I but I also didn't want to just pitch a mimicry because that's probably what would have happened because he would have had no cards in his discard pile on his next turn, more than likely. I'm 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 a hundred percent behind your reasoning. I I approve of it one hundred one hundred percent. Um, Joe, do you have anything you wanted to add on that? So I did give her grief about it. I still think Brabner was the right play, but I also think it goes to some of the things we teach our our guys down here is that keeping a card too long is effectively chaining yourself and you've really got to balance when it's time to pitch something from your hand versus holding on to it. And in this instance, I do agree that that's more in line with how we would have played it, which is get the most value you could at the time, because otherwise it could be three, four, five turns before you can play it. And discarding a mimicry just feels like absolutely the lowest possible value from that card. You should be able to get something out of it. Yeah, I'm, I'm not against that thought process either. But at the same time, like if you had pushed Brobner, I think you push your game state a lot more aggressively. But um, the time walk with the swindle, basically, like it wasn't, it was not bad. Like I said, you just basically took back the amber he took from you. So in the end, it, it, like I think mimicry swindle is still a better play than playing swindle like for the first time because <laughs> you shouldn't play swindle but then again it was sealed so i can't give him too much grief about it <laughs> like um 
I like I, honestly at the time he played the swindle, it was decent for him. So like, it's just when you when you're playing in a sealed environment, you get to see cards played that you just never want to see played. So like uh, mm-hmm. it, it, it's part of the fun of a uh, sealed format, and I think that the sealed format was was pretty pretty neat. So um, do you have anything else about that game that you wanted to talk about or that you recollect? Because like you pretty much uh, put him on the ropes like early and just knocked him out. Like you won that game three to one, I believe. If I recall it correctly, I, think it I just did, the thing that I found a little funny was that in your commentary, you guys were talking about how it was going pretty slow, and when we were playing the game in our table chat, we were talking about how surprisingly slow our match was going. So it was just funny that you know we both were feeling the same way. It just it just wasn't pushing forward at the beginning, but then it kind of took off. Well, I think I think that is because you didn't really you came out in your control suite, right? Like I was talking about that earlier. Is like you dropped your subtle mauls and you basically started mauling him and like just doing evil things to him and with the shadows and stuff. But you didn't get your normal burst that you normally had in most of the other games that we saw, like right off the bat with the dust pixies and stuff. And I think to to be fair, that that was was something that actually salvaged you in this matchup. What do you? How, how do you see it, Joe? Because you saw both hands. Like I think that the style of deck that Atticin was playing, or Atticin, I don't know. I hate when I can't pronounce names because I don't know how to do it. But sorry, it, whatever it's supposed to be. But I'm gonna call you Atticin for now because I like Star Wars. And uh, like, uh, what do you think? Um, like, do you think it was advantageous for, for Julie in this point point to have that start with the control side of her deck more so than the aggressive side? Because you saw the hand he was carrying, and like it looked like it was ready to deal with an Amber Burst. Yeah, this was the deck with, did he have three Cutthroat Research? So I think a slow, slow burn here was the better play, and it, it did work out in her favor because if he was able to get those off consistently, he or she um, was able to get that off consistently, that would have been a problem, and I don't know that Julie's deck had a great counter if it if he was going to go off like that. So I I think it worked to her favor to slow it and set the board state, get all of her artifacts out, and double subtle mall is incredibly annoying to play against. So it definitely was a benefit there. Yeah, I was having like PSD from PTSD from seeing two subtle malls because I play against somebody online. I'm sorry, I can't remember who it is, but it's an Italian guy like from overseas. And I used to play him every morning. I would run into him, and I knew every time I ran into him, I was gonna get triple mauled if I wasn't careful because that's the deck he played like all the time. And uh, triple mall is like it, it it stays in your brain. Like it, it's just it's not fun when you get stuck in that because you're literally playing with chains the rest of the game. <laughs> So having two malls was even that was like giving me PTSD from those matches, but uh, it, it was all fun in games, right? <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like you were just wielding that with the gauntlet of command, two subtle malls. Like let's go, I'm I'm a Brobnar mugwump lady. <laughs> Gonna just stomp some people. That's what happened in that game. It was pretty gross. But um, all right, well, last and not least, you got to play against Mr. George Jones. <laughs> so so lovely. <laughs> it, was, it was interesting being able to play him both times. The first the first time we played, it was very close. Um, yeah, and it was down to that last turn deciding between the two of us. And he just got me to be able to forge. Um, and the thing that's funny about that is... I noticed a lot of people dropping after winning their first or second match, or losing, I should say, their first or second match. And both Joe and I said, you know, we blocked out our whole day for this. Even if we lose them, we're going to play all of them. <laughs> because that was the, for me, the point of, you know, playing in this was to, you know, try to win. But mostly it was a day to, a whole day to play Keyforge. Right. Like um, with a lot of different people, right? Like around the community and stuff. Like, it's funny because... Part of the thing, I guess, the value I bring with this league, too, is that, like, I really know a lot of people around the world, even though I've never traveled. I've been to one Vault Tour, and I've been to one, um, like, uh, store championship, like, uh, Prime, right? And so I won my World's Championship, the first event I ever went to, and I got my World's Invite. So at that point, I was like, I don't need to travel. I have too many kids. It's too expensive. So I'll go to the one in Albany, because it's right here, and I'm I'm good. Like, that's all I need, and then I'm going to go to World's, and I'll be happy. But, uh like I've met so many people online and just chatting up and selling decks and talking and stuff like that, that I know all kinds of people. And it's funny because 
I feel like part of what I'm doing here with with Keyforge in the league is that I'm I'm starting to make these circles overlap. Like the Italian circle I know, there's a Filipino circle I know, there's an Australian circle I know. You know, now there's the Brits and stuff like that. And like basically like uh you know, there's some Polish people I've been meeting, Germans I've known for a long time, Spanish people, etc. But I'm I kind of starting to merge them all together and that's awesome. And I still even met new people. I met like did you know that Rodion or Rodion? I don't know how to say his name either. But um, he, the one that won the British uh, event is from Brazil. He's from San Paulo. So, yes. so um, I know Cha- I know Chow from down there, Chow Awazaki. But like, uh, I, I that's the only Brazilian I know, and I'm Portuguese. So I was super stoked when I found out that out because I'm like Portuguese power. We're taking it down because Jay Philip <laughs> Jay, Jay Philippeg is my boy because of this. <laughs> so uh, hopefully he'll have a good run in another tournament and be there with you guys. But yeah, so like, uh, go ahead. I, I didn't mean to cut yeah. into that like world spiel, but like, I love. I know that I know what's coming. Why did I do my first turn the way I did my first turn? <laughs> I was a supporter of it. If you listen to the stream. <laughs> Noah I th- and I were arguing about this earlier and I I hear his argument. Joe, I hear you. Mm-hmm. And I understand your perspective, but my perspective is just different. <laughs> it's, it's certainly different, that's uh, for sure. Okay. okay. <laughs> Okay, since since we have two perspectives, let's go over the perspectives and see see uh, what they are, and then I'll tell you how I side, which is probably with her play because I think Customs Office first turn, especially because you played the deck before, so you knew he had relative artifacts. I'm supposing that came into your decision, right? But I'll let you go ahead and tell me why you chose it, and then Joe, you tell me why you think it was not a good first turn. Got it. <laughs> okay. I just feel like even though it's one card. Um, it automatically sets a tone. Like you're not going to be able to play your artifacts. You're not going to be able to have that part of the game unless you pay me for it. Because say I waited a turn and he played a bunch of artifacts, then then the customs office is then pointless. You want that out as early as possible. It sets the tone and they know they're going to have to pay if they want to play. And in my opinion, I was like, I could have played the Dust Pixies on the next turn. It would have been two cards because I was not going to waste the Grasping Vines. I wanted to play the Customs Office and then hold on to the Grasping Vines for a little bit to see if he took the bait. That's fair. Um, so let me let me counterpoint. Like, like I'm a fan of the Customs Office first play. But you didn't say something that's very crucial to me. So now I'm starting to go Joe's way. <laughs> because... You like you played him before, so I assumed that you knew that he had a certain amount of artifacts that you didn't want to see hit the board without getting taxed. So I'll be honest, there was a lot going on, and it was a long day. And by that point, I did not remember my round two opponent. <laughs> okay, well then I, I don't agree with your with your custom office first play all of a sudden. <laughs> and and, and <laughs> let, let's see, and let's see if I can maybe say what he would say, because. Um, I think I know what his reasoning was, right? Because if you play Dust Pixie on your first turn and he kills your Dust Pixie, then you are bursting to six on your second turn because you're going to be able to regrowth the Dust Pixie. Because I remember that you had a regrowth and two Dust Pixies, right? Like that. No, the... it was Grasping Vines. Oh, was it Grasping Vines? Okay. Well, then never mind. Mm-hmm. I, I still believe in your play then. <laughs> so I think an important detail that's lost here is it was her first turn, but she was the second player. So she was eligible to play more than one card. So my argument had been... Playing the two Dust Pixies plus Grasping Vines lets you get a full value on Tame turn, and maybe you draw into better shadows the next turn. And it was a question of, in the first two turns, is he going to drop an artifact that's going to change the game? And then she told me she couldn't remember what the artifacts were, and so yeah, I, I waffled on it a little bit more. I was like, ah, if you don't really know, like, I would have rather seen a full value on Tame turn followed by possibly a really good shadows turn thereafter. The Bay Witches know that my memory is not always the best. It is frequently brought up about this one coat match. Um, we always practice the matches early in the week. And there was this one particular thing where Joe was like, don't do this. You cannot do this during the match. And then I go on the match and I do it. <laughs> I don't even remember what it was. It was something with Saurian dinosaurs. I still wound up winning the game. So... Oh you well. Did it, you did it five times in practice. We went over it, and then you did it in the actual match too. Yes. <laughs> that tells you anything about my personality. 
Hey, I'm all about beat people being stubborn. That doesn't hurt my feelings a bit. But uh, at the same time, like, um, I really was hoping that when you said talked about the customs office play that you were going to tell me that you knew he had artifacts that you didn't want basically to No, I just knew it was going to be brought up because hmm. people have been wondering why I did that. <laughs> That was your out was to say I knew he had Gauntlet of Command, blah blah blah, something something something, and I just wanted to make sure that he had to pay me to play them, and I would have been like, yay, that's great. But for you to say, on my second turn, I put in Customs Office and let, like basically time walked myself, without the idea that he was, you know, that you were specifically trying to keep him off of artifacts because you knew that he had artifacts, then it makes me, it's a much sketchier play. Because... I mean, I did know that he had them. I just couldn't remember which specific ones that he had, but I knew he had a handful. You just said you couldn't remember back to round two. Now you're telling me a double-sided story oh, here, man. lady. <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, but all in all, though, it was a pretty good day, and in the end, you're in the league, which makes you a pro. Well, <laughs> at least for the first season. Like, uh, <laughs> like um, and... I am really excited because you know what? You're the first female to enter the league, to make it into the league. And that's something nobody else can ever do. How did that feel? That was really exciting. Uh, a group of us had like a little group chat going on with um, some of the sheep forgers who were competing. And we were all saying like, one of us has to get it. And then as the games were going on, and I was like, I'm pretty sure at least one of us is going to make it into the top eight. Um, and not tonight. We knew she was going to because I think she went five and one. Um, so we were all, we were very excited. It is very exciting um, because that was, you know, part of the whole purpose of having the open qualifiers was making sure that every person, no matter their gender, their race, their sexuality, had a chance. Yeah, that's a that's a fair thing too. Um, I think I've I've asked everything I wanted to ask about. We've had some pretty fun banter and talk. Um, I guess this is your time to. Well, let me do it this way. Uh, Joe, is there anything that you would like to say about Julie or like that you want to give a shout out to or whatnot? This is your your last opportunity to uh, get it out there in the public record. So, um, take it. Got it. No, we're just, it's been crazy watching her from never having played less than a year ago to routinely kicking our butts in our wheelies that we still have. And then to finally see her kick somebody else's butt was really nice. So it wasn't just us taking the beating. So we're just incredibly proud of her and how far she's come. And she is one of our, our all-stars and we just, you know, it's been great. And it's, we're just really happy for her. With that said, Julie, um, I got nothing left to really say to you. So other than congratulations, welcome to the league. I look forward to doing commentary on your matches and watching you play because uh, you've already shown more maturity in the like in the game, like for only playing nine months long, which is really about half the life of the game. But uh, but it's uh, you know it's refreshing to see the the quality of play that you played with, especially. Um, it amazes me that you actually don't know that much about Coda or AOA and you were able to, to thrive in an environment that has both. I would suggest that you read up and practice uh, your Coda and AOA because yeah. I'm guessing going forward in adaptive, you're going to see a lot of AOA and a lot of like people just like Coda. They're like kind of, it's like their safety blanket. So going forward, I think uh, it might behoove you to uh, read up on those cards. And uh, I offer any uh, any assistance if uh, you need practice games or anything else like that. Anytime you can hit me up. That goes for anybody else out there as well. Obviously, I'm always looking to play games and talk uh, KeyForge. It's what I love. It's my passion other than my kids. So with that said, Julie, I'm going to let you take this out. And I'm going to let you say all your thank yous, all your, your shout outs, all your muffins. I mean, what? <laughs> she was all about you and George making finals, so you guys made her night. I just wanted to put that out. And I also wanted to publicly thank Kate for uh, helping me with the challenge slash TCO integration because like without her I might have been lost for a couple more minutes <laughs> like maybe an hour like <laughs> until I found somebody else that would help me but she was always on tech call for me and I am eternally grateful for that now I think I got it and I figured it all out but like uh, without her teaching me how to do APIs I would have been really in trouble so um, her and Carl for running the first event thank you so much you, you're wonderful as well but Julie 
July, why don't you take us out and give us everything that you want to put on on, on recording because this is your last chance. All right. Again, I just want to say a big thanks to everybody who's helped me get to where I'm at today. All the Bay Witches, um, games and stuff over in Glen Burnie. Definitely when COVID's not around, if you're in the area, anybody listening, drop by and play a match with us. We would love it. Um, and to all of the people who I've met through SheForge, such a supportive community, people always willing to help out and play a game with you. This is Keyforge Premier League Weekly, and this is the podcast that is uh, going to keep you informed on things that are relevant to the Keyforge community. Also, make sure you check out www.keyforgepremierleague.com. Uh, on there, I have a Keyforge news section, and I will be updating the Keyforge Season 1 page as we go through. If you haven't seen yet, Julie and Rodion and Lazaro and... George, GJ999, have all been updated as winners of the event that was listed on the page there. So please uh, keep checking stuff out like that. Traffic does help me um, start to try to monetize and help, you know, grow the league and do the things we need to do to basically get it to where we can really get some good money in for these people. Uh, We look forward to seeing you this Saturday for an Archon solo event where you can bring your own deck, any set, and uh, there are no restrictions to that um other than please do not be that person that brings decks that you know have broken mechanics on tco because that is going to be something that is detrimental to your gameplay and your opponent's gameplays and if it's something that is uh, unfixable then we might have you just change the deck anyway so uh be mindful of what plays on tco and doesn't like cyberclone bad card don't don't bring it. Well, I, I don't know if it's actually Cyberclone, but one of the clones has some like really bad hiccupy. Is I think it's Mimic Gel that has the bad hiccups that they can't fix. So don't bring those cards because uh, they just make the game horrible. Um. So with that said, we're out. Thank you for listening, and we will see you soon. Thank you for tuning into the podcast. And if you'd like to be part of the conversation, reach out to us at KeyForgePremierLeague at gmail.com and join the show. Without you, we couldn't be us. Check out www.KeyForgePremierLeague.com for links to all our content, including learn to play videos and critique on gameplays. No matter what your level is, you are always welcome. Be a part of it. The KeyForge Premier League. Get there.